0: This is Jennifer Anastasoff of FuseCorp, and you're listening to Leader Lab.
1: So who are you and what do you do? Uh,
0: Well, my name is uh, Jennifer Anastasoff. I am the uh, CEO and and co-founder of FuseCorp. FuseCorp is an organization that's creating catalysts for change in cities and states around the country, and we're, we, we started our work doing that through our fellowship, uh, bringing the top minds in business entrepreneurship and placing them with mayors and with governors around the country.
1: Well, uh, and they are uh, an amazing example, and it's why I wanted to put them in the book, of, of what can happen when you get people from different uh, industries and sectors together. And I want to talk about that, but first, let's talk about the story behind it. How did Fuse Corps get started? Um, give me the history of Fuse score
0: It's uh, it, it, it actually I think responds well to some of the uh, uh, it actually um, reflects well some of the, the concepts in the book actually as I was uh, as I was skimming through it, David. Fuse um, course started uh, in 2010, uh, probably a little bit before that, through a conversation with Lenny Mendonza. Uh, uh, with uh he director at McKinsey, uh, Peter Sims, uh, author of uh, a few different books, one of them uh, being Little Bets, And the real idea was uh, Lenny had seen as he worked with CEOs of companies and students at uh, Stanford Business School and so on, he'd seen that there was a real desire to create meaningful change, to create um, a meaningful impact uh in the social sector from folks who are in the business sector, and not a real sense of how to do it. And on the other side, he had seen uh, mayors and governors uh, who really wanted ways to be more innovative, think more innovatively, um, execute on innovation, and needed some of the resources. And so uh, totally separate and apart from me at that time, they were uh, coming up with and thinking through, gosh, how do we bring these two things together? Because it seems like they should. Uh, this should be coming together. And uh, totally separately, um, I was spending the past 15, 20 years focused on how do we take people who are mid-career in the private sector, um, who are um, thinking differently, who've learned and have a whole different perspective than, than my sector, the, the, the public sector, the nonprofit sector, and how do we provide them with meaningful opportunities to make a difference, whether it be internationally or uh, in education, and uh, uh, in 2011,
1: uh, we all came together, and uh, CUSCAR was born. Well, well, awesome, and it's a short, it's a short history of the organization, but it's already made a huge impact from both in the communities that the different fellows from the inaugural class have been placed, but also on a national level in getting recognition from the White House, um, working with some of the top level. Um, organizations, global organizations, etc. Tell me, tell me a bit about the first, maybe the projects that the different fellows were involved in that first class, and then kind of the reaction. And you've, there's a there's a lot more than the uh, the first class that are being placed right now as we speak. So let's let's talk at, then about what's on the horizon.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll definitely talk about the fellows. I, I would say that in terms of the work that we've done with the White House, uh, and in terms of how the the, the program. I started uh, connecting the two. Uh, my, uh, our co-founder, Dave Viotti, uh, uh, he was head of uh, uh, learning. He was chief learning officer at Sun Microsystems. He has uh, kicked off, um, I guess, an entire uh, uh, career in business himself in innovation labs, leadership training that started with, uh, uh, in part, um, helping to kick off Fuse Corps. And so as we talk about the fellows, and I'm going to share some of the really amazing experiences that they've had, uh, we actually have, and he's uh, uh, been working to build up a faculty uh, at Fuse Corps that's focused specifically on innovation and leadership in order to push our fellows' boundaries, in order to push our team's boundaries. And that's been, uh, I think, the heart and soul of our organization. And that will take us to um, thinking about some of the fellows. So, for example, we had a few different uh, fellows. We had five in our first year, and, uh, and that was in 2012. We kicked off in 2012, and we had, I think, some, some crazy goals, right? We called the the hags big, hairy, audacious goals. And they were that we were going to have, you know, outsized impact in each of our placements. We were going to have um, – uh, uh, we were going to be on our way to our next group of fellows and uh, uh, heading towards sustainability in year two. And we were going to be able to share these amazing learnings that we found over the first year. And, you know, crazy enough, what we were going to do is we are going to do it at the, in D.C. Um, and we were going to share it between state and cities and leaders across the country. And, you know, because we were really being big, hairy, and audacious, we said, and you know what, we're going to be doing that at the White House. So I'll, I'll start with um, with uh, what our fellows ended up doing from an outsized impact, uh, and, we'll, and then we'll end up at the White House. Actually, um, Lisa Gans, uh, one of our, our fellows, uh, this in, in 2012, this past year, um, she came into this as a, a tech entrepreneur, uh, someone who had done human rights work in Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, Swaziland, um, and and she. I guess it would, she is not the person, uh, I think that one would have thought, gosh, yeah, she's the right person to place in one of the toughest neighborhoods in D.C., working with a local coalition that was going to turn around and change a public-private partnership to turn around and change, uh, the trajectory of, of education, uh, in, in the Kennelworth neighborhood of D.C. Um, but we really saw that, that she would be a great match for the promised neighborhood there, um, now called, uh, Two Promises, uh, sorry, Five Promises for Two Generations. And we placed Lisa there, and I think the headline is her job was to come up with a five year strategic plan to to um, enable kids to move from cradle to career uh successfully in that neighborhood uh to resource it and to bring on partners. In eight months, uh not only uh was she able to quarterback the creation of that five year plan and uh, uh, the pulling on of, I think, 40 uh, partners in D.C., public, private, and nonprofit. Uh, but they were able to secure on December 20th of 2012 $25 million from the federal government um, in order to be able to fund that promised neighborhood, and, uh, and just a few months later, uh, found out that one piece of their, product, uh, their project uh, that she was quarterbacking was so interesting and so exciting uh, that they added another three mil. So based on the placement of that fellow, they were able to secure uh, a five-year strategic plan, an infrastructure plan, um, partners, and $28 million. So that's one example.
1: <laughs> it's just one.
0: Uh, just one. Um, but I, I would actually say, well, you know, I think the money stands out to a lot of folks. It's it's really exciting to think about the fact that each of our other fellows has had a different but just as valuable experience and, and just a transformative experience thinking about the city of San Jose. It's, when we talk about creativity and innovation, it, you would think that uh, some of the, the creativity and innovation from companies in the city of San Jose, the, the birthplace of Silicon Valley, the heart of Silicon Valley, I should say. Um, I forget, there's a, a, a constant fight between Palo Alto and San Jose. I think it may be actually the capital of Silicon Valley. We're going to pick one of those. <laughs> okay. And you would think, <laughs> you would think that um, – San Jose right now, or I should say over the past few years, has had some serious challenges in terms of uh, resourcing and making sure that um, libraries can stay open, that uh, citizens are served in the way that the mayor would like to be able to serve the citizens. And yet there was no pro bono program with the city of San Jose uh, to be able to tap into the knowledge and the expertise and the, the perspectives of companies and Individuals uh, who are professional, either entrepreneurs or who are business people from around the the, the area. Um, well, Jeremy Goldberg, social entrepreneur, had been a social entrepreneur in microfinance, uh, came in, and created it um, and created a program that uh, a pro bono program that I believe has pulled in I think something like 750 hours and of pro bono work um, that is spinning off into its own uh, pro bono program that is. Uh, uh, Pulling on help from uh, companies throughout San Jose, but also throughout the Silicon Valley, and other cities are looking to San Jose as a model uh, in this. So those are just two examples. There are uh, other amazing folks: Erica in Sacramento, Noel, who was in uh, changing, working on uh, putting education and kids at the center of education and youth conversations in uh, Sacramento. Uh, Laurel, who's in uh, uh, Delaware, also focused on education and, and in particular, STEM education. And um, it's it's amazing work.
1: So that brings us to the White House, really.
0: It does. It brings us to the White House. So all of that happened. That was 2012, part of 2013. And um, we're really excited that uh, March of 2013, uh, those fellows, uh, who are now our, our illustrious alumni, and uh our new fellows we have seven of them um, as well as uh, uh others who are on the bench to become fellows um we at the white house and in fact leading an activity in the south court auditorium of the white house which if you've ever been there uh, uh david it's a um, it's very much a theater style press conferency kind of auditorium and uh they were hosting and leading uh an innovation lab uh, all focused on cross-sector leadership, cross-sector innovation, uh, and it was with a cross-section of public, private, nonprofit folks talking about how do we create a movement in cross-sector leadership around the country. And, you know, when you're standing in the South Court Auditorium of the White House, we have the fellows who are sharing their experiences and talking about the work that they've done, but also learning and sharing from others and sharing some tools uh, for cross-sector innovation and leadership um, with Eminem in the background, probably, and, uh, uh, <laughs> and and people broken up into um, groups all around uh, this lecture hall, um, it's pretty exciting, and it was it was great to see. It was a, a fulfillment of uh, one of our big visions for the year.
1: Yeah, no, it's a it's a fascinating program to me because it it blends these aren't these aren't career. Uh, career civil servants that are going in and being fellows. These are Harvard MBAs, entrepreneurs, media executives, lawyers. These are people from sectors outside of traditional government that are making an impact, truthfully, at the place where an impact really needs to be made at the, the municipal level or at the state level. And that's part of this sort of larger trend in social innovation that's happening with this cross of sectors. Tell me tell me a bit more about why this cross-sector leadership is so important or why we really need to build these. Uh, the, the fun term that I love is tri-sector athletes.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, we love that too. Um, yeah, I, I think tri-sector athletes, really, as you think about leadership and as uh, you think about the, the people who are held up as, as uh, some of the most influential leaders in our country, um, those folks are what we call tri-sector athletes. They're engaged or have been engaged in nonprofits. They have been engaged in uh, the, the public sector, uh, in, in government, uh, as well as in the private sector. Um, you know, whether it be uh, if you're uh, uh, more on the Democratic side and you look at, um, uh, let's even take a Rahm Emanuel, uh, who's mayor of Chicago, who – um, had been engaged in nonprofits himself, uh, um, boards and the like, had been heavily involved in the public sector uh, for a number of years and had been involved in finance, uh, and now is running the city of Chicago, to, if you're thinking more on the Republican or more conservative side, I mean, even Mitt Romney, as he was running for president, um, had all of those, in fact, both of our presidential candidates, key presidential candidates, had themselves had significant nonprofit um, public sector uh, as well, well as um, some level of private sector experience.
1: Yeah, no, and if you think back, actually, for for a long time now, at the presidential level, that that need for uh, experience across sectors has has been seen, or at least it's been there in in the candidates and in the people who have, who have won. What's interesting to me now is you're seeing it at an even smaller level. You know, that's at the at the top level, at sort of the end or the apex of someone's political career, um, but now down even into the um, even into the city and state levels, and in people who are not in elected positions, who are in positions of pure service, are building on that idea that we need to have experience across the different sectors in order to really make things happen at the level where they really need to happen, at the level where real government happens, the local level.
0: Yeah, we're absolutely seeing that. I mean, that was part of the the creation of Fuse Corps is it it was – it, it's been intriguing to see people say over and over again, you know, when I saw the, uh, uh, the nomination or that I was nominated for Fuse Corps, I thought it was a joke because I had been thinking, as a private sector person, I had been thinking about how am I going to get engaged in the public sector? How am I going to make a huge difference? How am I going to build out this part of who I am? Uh, I, I didn't know that there was a specific path for it. Um, but I knew that in order to be the leader that I want to be, I had to do that, and that's a real change uh, in terms of how um, individuals. I think individuals are looking at, at themselves as future leaders, um, and so it's been. It, that's actually created, I think, some of the cultural um, uh, uh, emphasis for Fuse Corps to be created. Um, is is a on the one side, you have people in the private sector who are saying, "I expect." That in my future career, and you have the millennials who are saying, uh, who are coming up even right after our folks, who are saying, you know, I expect that in my career, um, I'm going to make a significant difference in the public-private nonprofit sector. I want my employer to expect that of me. I want my country to expect that of me. And um, and so that's been really intriguing, uh, and intriguing to see. And. You know, one of the key pieces is we talk about trisector athletes, um, there's some, some interesting research on it uh, that a group called Intersector has done that really talks about uh, what are the characteristics of a trisector athlete or what are those qualities that make them successful. And one of the key qualities is actually um, that they can build uh, uh, that, that they can build networks, that they can build that um, they have networks in multiple sectors. Um, And so that's something that FuseCorp can provide. Uh, But to to the expert myth, it really struck me as I was reading through the book and thinking about the the expert myth and this concept that um, someone who's going to make a real difference has to be an expert in it. What we're seeing and finding is really an openness on the side of government to say we want new perspectives and actually we all own uh, the government that's serving us and therefore we... We need cross-sector leadership and cross-sector innovation to effectively run our country, uh, whether it be the municipal level, the state level, or uh, President Obama said it to his cabinet yesterday um, uh, uh, you know, at the federal level. So that's been really uh, been interesting to
1: see. Yeah, and and I should say, the, the you were talking about the research from Intersector, and the, the research on why it works is, is right there in uh, the debunking of the expert myth, that when you have people who have – of some level – this is the beauty of the cross-sector athlete – when you have – a tri-sector athlete when you have people who have experience in multiple domains um, but are on sort of the fringes of it and have the ability to hold multiple perspectives in their head at the same time that is a trigger to seeing the world in a way that people who are entrenched in just one sector will likely never really see as a viable solution and so they're they're open up both through their networks and through their knowledges and, and most importantly, possibly through their perspectives to see possibilities that are truly the possibilities we need to solve, uh, I like the term wicked problems. Are you from
0: Boston? Does I, no-
1: I will see here. I, yeah. am, I am. I spent, I went to high school in, in Boston, so I've spent some time in Boston. I'm not a Boston sports fan, but see, what I found was I like wicked. To me, wicked was an adjective. And then I got into this sort of in with the design thinking community and wicked problem defines anything that's ill-structured. We don't really understand the constraints around the problem or even the problem as a whole yet. It, it's a wicked problem because we don't even know how to solve it. And I thought, that's, that's wonderful. That's bi-coastal <laughs> now. It's, it's great.
0: Oh, I love it. Yeah, there are such, such wicked problems out there. And I, you know, I would say, I mean, I really, I have to say that I think part of the value of our folks as we think about people who are, and I will say they aren't youngins, right? So our Fuse course fellows are people who have had, you know, they, they tend to be, there's no age limit, but they tend to be because of the experience requirement somewhere between the ages of 35 and 45. These are folks who are, who are, have, have done a lot and, and, been very successful in one place. But the, the interesting piece is that they're coming to this, and we really push, uh, to make sure that they're coming to this, uh, uh experience with, um, a growth mindset, right? With the idea of there's so much that I have to learn not necessarily just so much that they have to give. but just so much that they have to learn. And, you know, Picasso said, what did he say, that uh, he spent his whole life trying to figure out how to, how to paint like a five-year-old. Hmm. And, and being able to see things in that new way and going through a, a totally, being in a totally different place where you're not an expert anymore, where you have to think about things in a new way uh, in order to get get by, paint does a couple of things. One, if they're approaching it from a learning perspective and from a growth perspective, um, They're they're going to have some of those synapses firing in different and new ways. It's going to get them thinking and being more creative. Um, And then the the other piece that we've been really excited about to see in the past year is actually that the people that they're working with that may have been there, may have been working in government, may have been working in uh, the public sector or or non-private sector for 20 years, start thinking and start getting a little bit of permission, start thinking a little differently themselves by seeing that someone else can be thinking a little differently. Um, and that, that that can be rewarded, and that there there are results that come from that. So that's been. I, I'd like to see um, uh, your your part B on the expert myth, uh, uh on on how catching um, creativity might be able to be um, when people when people actually are in a culture uh, that that starts to prize it.
1: Oh no, I, I I I totally agree. I think one of the cooler things that that I see is as you're interacting with. Um, as you said earlier that the the municipal and state level governments are wanting this additional um, perspectives and wanting to gain that you know and I see it in my in, in my native state with Oklahoma, the reaction to the response just knowing that it 's out there, just knowing that there are alternative perspectives is actually enough to push people out of their the trap of their expertise and get them thinking about it and in that way, that sort of creativity culture builds uh, compounds on itself and and you know maybe creativity is a virus, maybe it does spread.
0: Yeah, let's let's hope, and maybe we can create. I mean, one of the key and interesting kind of kind of themes and 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 structures. Is this is this idea that um, maybe a variety of ideas, a variety of projects are created at one time. Whether it be the telephone, right, or or um, uh, or or the Mac operating system, <laughs> maybe a variety of things are created at one time um, by different people. Uh, it can be created at one time by different people if if. The, the cultural incentives are right. And I guess part of what we're hoping to do through FuseCorp is uh, both to, to place individuals and to kind of debunk the expert in some ways in, in, in um, the civil sector, but also to help change that culture and change the, the vision such that, um, you know, people are uh, uh, excited about uh, change and people are excited about uh, different ways and different perspectives.
1: Yeah. I... So. I I told I totally think that that is, is should, should be the end goal. You know, and, and the real lesson to me of the expert myth isn't run out and hire a bunch of, of interns or find people from outside of your sector, although that that works. The real lesson to yeah, me... That was an
0: idea that came up for me. Yeah. This, yeah. yeah.
1: The, the real <laughs> lesson to me is uh, Paul Erdos and the mathematician who took it upon himself to always be pers- seeking out new perspectives, seeking out new domains of knowledge. And, and what I love about what I'm seeing beginning to be the long-term legacy of few is that the communities that fellows interact with leave with that Erdos mindset of, I need a fresh mind, I need to cultivate uh, various perspectives, I can't just see the world the way that I saw it and expect to solve these new problems.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, gosh, think about how amazing the government that serves us and that we ask for and work for could be if we were fostering great ideas um, and, and sort of new perspectives from within and without, uh, and there would just be we would be focusing on solving problems oh, and yeah. uh, doing it in creative and exciting ways
1: absolutely i mean it's it's we the people we, but we the people have all sorts of perspectives yes, yeah so um I guess you know as you read, Jennifer, you you got the uh, cool opportunity because you're in the book, um, and I love Fusecore and love to do whatever I can to help them. Uh, but you also got the chance to read the book ahead of time, and I'm just kind of curious, looking for alternative perspectives. I'm just kind of curious as you as you read the myths of creativity. What other myths you kind of encounter in your work with Fusecore?
0: Oh my goodness! Well, I I I, I can go. Um I get stuck on the expert myth because I literally keep dealing with that every day. But we'll move on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we can rant more about the expert myth if you want.
0: We can rant, yes, yeah, we can rant about people saying, "Well, this they could be a, they could be great folks." This is you know, as we expand, people saying, "Yeah, they, they could be great folks," but do they really know enough about how we do things? <laughs> that's kind of the point, that they don't, yeah. and that's a good thing. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> I think you know there were. A few that really I think struck me. I, I think the the ones that we come across and that we play with a little bit. I think uh, I'll start at the end. Is is this idea of the the kind of the mouse myth and the constraints myth were interesting. Um, I'll start with constraints. I mean, um, the idea is that constraints inhibit um, creativity. Just as I've and as I've grown up and as I've seen the organization grow up within Silicon Valley, it's so not true. <laughs> Um, that by putting the right constraints and by thinking, uh, you know, thinking effectively and thinking, being really thoughtful about the types of constraints that we put on things we can see with the X Prize, we can see with a variety of other things, that when you put thoughtful constraints and, and then challenge folks to think creatively, we have, you know, they, they come up with amazing marshmallow and spaghetti uh, uh, towers. And um, and what I'd like to be able to to see is us As we're working within uh, uh, the civil sector, we're working within government. I'd like to be able to see us um, looking at the constraints that we're um, uh, that that we put in, and and hopefully trying trying to kind of change our approach to them as um, perhaps challenges uh, to 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 address and to be creative about.
1: Yeah, To me, it goes back to that idea, ironically, of the wicked problems, the ill-structured problems. If you don't have the constraints around the problem, then you don't have the structure to begin to test solutions. You can think of all sorts of wild ideas without constraints, but are they really going to work? The, the most novel, most useful ideas are only going to come when you have some level of constraints to help structure your solution. I, I think that's just my opinion and the opinion of all the research. If if I can, let's switch gears a little bit. We ask everybody that that we talk to two questions at the very end. Um, the first being, what are you reading right now?
0: Oh, oh, that's interesting. I'm reading The Bridge um, by David McCullough.
1: Oh, very cool. Any anything else, or just yeah. The Bridge? Are you a one book at a timer? Or-
0: it's 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 kind of a it's a big book um, and. Um, I am also, uh, reading, let me, let me go look at my, I'm going to walk over and look at my, uh, bookshelf right now because I'm reading that one. I am also reading, um, Social Entrepreneurship for the 21st Century, and it's about innovation across the nonprofit, private, and public sectors, so that's kind of directly related. Um, and, uh, yeah, those, those are the main ones that I, that I'm reading, uh, right now. I did, I did just finish a, uh. A Stephen King book, but we won't
1: talk about that. <laughs> you know, uh, there is a, there is a role for fiction in in all of our lives. I'm, I'm, the more the older I get, I suppose, the less I sort of read nothing but business and and nonfiction books, and the more I pick up fiction because I think on some level it allows you to play around with ideas in a safe environment. You know, as you read through what the protagonist is going through, you start to think about what you would do, and, and you're not burdened by history and sentiment and all that kind of stuff. You can actually sort of think your way through the problem. That's, that's my theory, at least. That's my justification for lazy summer reading of, you know, crazy fiction books. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this, too. In addition to what you're reading now, what, what's next for you and what's next for Fusecore?
0: Um, well, let's see. In addition to what I'm reading now, I'm going to finish up. I will be finishing up the bridge, uh, and uh, what is part of what's next for me. Uh, but what's what's next for me in Fuse Corps is we've, gosh, we, gosh, we are a growth organization. We're all about learning as well. So we've spent the last year of learning. We have eight, uh, seven amazing fellows. We're actually about to walk in next week uh, into interviews for our next group uh, uh, of fellows to sort of flush out our 2013 fellows. And um, so so I would say we're going to continue building towards uh, an amazing cohort of uh, the top fellows and uh, top private sector entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurial folks in the country, and placing them with mayors and governors are going to have continued outside success. Um, they're going to share their knowledge. It will be amazing. And I would say that's phase one, though. Um, really, as we continue to look forward, I'm looking forward to being able to reach thousands and thousands um of uh, people across sector with this focus on creating either intern themselves uh, becoming catalysts for change and helping to train them and support them, um, or placing fellows in cities and states around the country to help create catalysts for change um, and uh, creating spaces for innovation. so I'm, I'm excited about sort of phase two as well, which is uh, the phase where we have amazing fellows around the country. Um, some of whom I'm sure will run for mayors, governors, whatever, someday, but we're amazing fellows around the country who are making a difference. We have alumni around the country who are still deeply committed um, to solving wicked problems uh, uh, across sectors. I'm looking forward to continuing our work both at the national level of, of supporting cross-sector innovation and leadership um, and, and just making it cool, fun, necessary, exciting for people to be tri-sector athletes so that we can be solving these problems together.
1: Well, that is awesome. Now, if I'm just now hearing about Fusecore, or if I read about it in the book, and I feel like you know this is this is exactly what we need um, to make the world a better place, make our country a better place, make our state cities a better place. How can I get involved? Where's the best place to to get connected with Fusecore and get involved?
0: Yeah. So, so if you if you've uh, uh, been excited, you want to figure out how to become a trisector athlete um, or. Uh, uh, how to become a cross-sector leader, if you already are, um, want to solve wicked problems, please uh, reach out. Go to our website at www.fusecore, F-U-S-E-C-O-R-P-S uh, dot O-R-G. Um, go there. Find out more about the program. You can reach out to me uh Jennifer at org and, uh, and let me know uh, about your excitement. This is a, a huge movement that... Um, we're happy to be a part of um, and uh, there's a lot of wicked problems out there to solve and we need more more and more great people jumping across sectors and thinking differently to do it
1: Wow totally and if, if should add if you're listening after the the uh, publication date of the missive of Creativity, you can do two things. You can go to FuseCore.org and, and donate yourself, or you can get a copy of the book or get 19 copies of the book, however many you want to do, because for every copy of the book sold, we're donating a dollar to, to FuseCore, and we're hoping that others will match that with donations of their own uh, as well to help support this organization as it goes through some crazy explosive growth to solve wicked problems.
0: Um, can I just make a call for all professors who are listening to this right now? Order the book for your class. That's why I'm just saying. This is Jennifer speaking, <laughs> not speaking on behalf of a nonprofit. I'm just saying it's a, it's a decent book I read it.
1: Oh, it's a decent book. That's the nicest thing anybody said about the book thus far. It's a decent book. I read it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, totally, I'm totally getting there. But, but no, I, I agree with Jennifer's call. And if you are and you want to do it for your old class, let me know. I've got syllabi. I've got stuff on how we'll be using it in our class here. So um, I can help you out there, too. In the meantime, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab.
0: It's been great to be a part of it. i honored. And uh, thanks, David.